Hi, I'm Megan Francis. And I'm Dave Kroc. And this is the LifeWork Podcast. In this show, we'll explore what it really takes to build a business while designing a life that matters. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of Life Work. I'm Megan Francis here with Dave Kroc. Hey, Dave. Hey, how's it going? It's going great because today we're going to be talking about getting that money. Getting that cash. Getting that cash. Um, or in business terms, finding investors and financing your business, which sounds a lot more boring. Oh, I'm out. Hey, whoop, hey, here I am. Sorry. You're back. Sorry. Sorry. I walked away. He touched from something. something. I touched something. <laughs> and it broke. Um, and it broke. So, yeah, I think in the investor pitch uh, session when you're sitting down with the, in front of the shark tank, yeah. Yeah, it's probably not a g- good idea to go, I'm here to get that cash. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe later in the process. There you go. So what Dave, because I know nothing about getting cash from, uh, from any of these sources really, but I want to learn. So basically this is an opportunity for me to pretend like I'm working while really just picking Dave's brain. Sounds so, good. Dave, and I'm you're... going to sit here and just make stuff up uh-huh. until you seem satisfied. And then we're going to flail around for a while, which is what we do. So, um, I'm just, Dave, I want you to kind of just walk us through the process and I'll ask questions as they pop up. I'm sure questions that listeners would also have. Um, you've got a business or you've got a business idea and I right. don't, you can start from either of those premises. What literally is the step-by-step process to getting money for your idea? Sure, sure. Well, I think it's it's important to zoom out on this and look at it from both sides. You've got your side where you have a business that you're trying to fund or finance or mm-hmm. grow or expand or whatever whatever the case might be. And with this particular episode, there are as many different ways to fund a business as there are businesses. So we'll, we'll keep it somewhat general, but I'm going to try and get into very specific examples of different things so that it's not, it doesn't feel too general. Um, and then, as I mentioned, the other side of the table, which is the side where the person or people or whatever source of the funding comes from, if it's not yourself. Um, and so I think it's important to understand that at the same time as you are trying to attract money to allow you to get somewhere, there are people that have money who are looking for it to grow. Mm. And so that's the that's the scenario that you're walk, walking into because you want to make sure that what you're providing people is an opportunity for their money to grow. And it they do not want to lose that money. Right. You know, they want that back and they want to be able to make more of it. So, um, so I think that's the, the first place to start. Um, you mentioned two kind of scenarios at the outset there. One is you have an idea. You're not really sure what to do with it. You know it could be something. You know that it's going to take some money to prove that idea, so to speak. And then the other scenario is you already have a business that you kind of started on your own and you recognize that you need more money to allow it to do what you want it to do. So I guess we'll kind of maybe tackle those two areas yeah. separately maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think where do you think most people would be coming from? Um uh, quite honestly, the, yeah, it's it's hard to say. In our listener base, we've probably got a mix. Um, yeah. I don't know how many people we've had in our listener base that have raised angel investing, right. you know, angel funds or VC money, um, have done uh, rounds one and two and have Well, can we actually just back right up and and define those things first? Because I think there's some confusion about what the difference is. Absolutely. Well, to start, number one, you need to know what you're actually going to do. There has to be a goal for the money. So with each kind of different funding round, there are different goals for what happens. So if you're starting from scratch and you let's say the funder is you, right? You're starting from scratch and you say, hey, you know what? I've got this idea for this and I think uh, it could be successful. So what I need to do is I need to prove that people might kind of want it or that it could work or that 
if it's a new invention, I'm having something built that the product can actually exist, you know, that kind of thing. Well, you don't need 20 million bucks for that, right? What right. you need is you need whatever the amount of money is to actually show that that thing could work or that the model could be proved or that somebody's willing to buy it or, or whatever. And so that amount of money, that, that typically is what we call a seed mm. investment. Okay. Because it's, you know, if you think about it in, in terms of growing uh, a tree, let's say, mm. you know, obviously it, if it doesn't ever come out of the ground, you're not going to be picking fruit from it, right? right. <laughs> so, so you got to prove that it will actually take root, you know, okay. and then it could grow. So that's seed money. Typically seed money could be, I mean, it could be anywhere from a couple thousand bucks, a couple hundred mm. bucks. It could be all the way up to, you know, fifty, hundred thousand dollars Usually not too much more than that. Although, mm. you know, I have seen seed rounds that are in the 500,000 range, depending on what, what it was, if it's something that needed a lot of capital investment to get there. So then you kind of what you, you, you go out and you prove that the thing will work, that people will buy it, that the concept is proven. Then you kind of move on to sort of a, what they call maybe a round one of, uh, of equity financing where you're bringing okay. on, and this might be friends and family. This could be an angel investor. Sometimes uh, VC investors get involved in this, this phase, not usually. And, and what you're trying to do now is you, you've kind of proven that this thing will work. And so now what you need to do is you need to build a little business around it. And you need to actually put the pieces in place to sell some of those things and get some traction and actually start to have a business that is doing whatever X is, right? And then beyond that, then you kind of, that proves. So you start to get sales. You become profitable potentially at that point in time. And you've got this small little thing that is kind of working, but to then go to the next level to kind of scale the business up to reach some form of, of goal that you might have, whether it's to sell nationwide or to get into stores if it's a product or if it's just simply a matter of really reaching the goal that you had originally for the business, that scale up sort of funding is usually the, the rounds that come after that. And that's where you might either, so you, you could self-fund. There are ways to self-fund the growth of your business just using internal cash flow. Uh, but sometimes the needs are, are much bigger and you've got a bigger market you need to hit. Or if you're selling a product, you might have a large scale um, buyer that mm -hmm. might be wanting to make a large order and you just don't have the capital or the resources or the ability to, to meet that order. And so that's where you start to get into needing larger and larger scales of money. Um, and those are that's where uh, venture capitalists tend to get involved and what they're looking for. Now, at each phase, different investors are looking for different things, right? right. The friends and family early on, they're, they're buying in because they, they think that you'll make some money on their money and that they want to support you and they want to see you do well. And then at that next phase, you get into the angel investor round. Those sort of people, they're looking for, inv professional angel investors are looking to invest in a, a handful of, of different investments. And they're looking for an aggregate return on all those, a net return on all those, is somewhere in the 20 to 25% range. So they're looking to, to do better than they could do if they just put the money in the stock market, do way better than they could do if they just had some form of, of basic um, safe investment mm -hmm. like bonds. And... Now, VCs, venture capitalists, they're not looking for 20 to 25% return on their money because what they're doing is they're actually packaging up money from other sources. So you might have a large-scale institutional investor like an insurance company or um, a large endowment or a university or, or large-scale um, funding sources that what they'll do is they'll become a limited partner in the venture capital fund. And so venture capitalists are actually, in a way, sort of employees working on behalf of other funders. The venture capitalist is the person that goes and finds the business that they can invest, you know, usually somewhere in the range of, 
um, at least a million, sometimes a million to 20 to 40. I've mm. seen $100 million rounds, um, which is a little bit unusual, but it's not not completely out of the, the realm. And what they're looking for in terms of return is they're looking for some of the investments in their portfolio to produce these outsized 10x, 20x, you know, th- their money grows by 20 times. Um, and then they know that some of the other ones won't work out. Some will just kind of skate along and not do that well. Some will lose money. Some will go out of business. But the aggregate, they want to they earn a really good return for their investors. Number one, because then their investors are happy and keep investing in their future, uh, their future funds but also because they take what's called a percentage, a carry on that investment. So they're charging management fees for those funds, but then also they get a, a percentage of the upside. So as an actual person, as a venture capitalist, they're trying to use other people's money and their own, they have their own skin in the game, to reach these huge returns on what, you know, what they call, you've heard the term unicorns, of yeah. these companies have just taken off. You know, everybody's looking for the unicorn, but realistically what they're looking for is a portfolio that yeah. they can appeal to again and again. They know um, they're going to just have some donkeys too. <clears throat> yeah, there's going to be some donkeys amongst the <laughs> some unicorns. burrows. Yeah, some burrows <laughs> like that. That makes me think of churros and now I'm hungry. <laughs> um, and so that's those are kind of the most of the usual funding sources. Obviously there are, and most people think of, they think of banks, they mm. think of the Small Business Administration, they think of those other... Um, debt-based types of right. resources, and that, and so when we talk about raising money, there are those two different types of money, right? There's, there's debt where you're essentially borrowing and you're paying back, and there's interest or there's some form of structured re- repayment. You're, you have money coming out of your company. Monthly, guaranteed yes. monthly or whatever the term is. And generally speaking, that's tied to your personal credit in quite some often, way, right? Quite often or your it is. personal assets. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and once your business builds a, a reputation and a history, quite often you can actually avoid that sort of personal guarantee okay. and the, your own personal credit being a part of that. But that's something that takes time to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that's kind of the, the whole phase. And then there are other forms of, there's there's bridge financing. So let's say you you started and your friends and family were in early investors and then your, your best friend joined up as the VP of whatever. And then he left the company, but he's got 5% or 10%. And you just kind of move along and you start to grow and an angel investor gets involved and then a VC gets involved. And you get to this point where you're like, okay, we've got a lot of these little pieces and different people in at different phases, but this business has really done well. And it's grown significantly and we want to take it public or we want to do or a private equity fund wants to come in and buy um, the company or something like that where there's this big sort of liquidation exit event. Um, Quite often there'll be funding that's called like a bridge round that'll come in and what they'll do is they'll provide money with the intent that you're going to move to some form of liquidity like an Mm -hmm. IPO or some form of buyout. And they will kind of hold the line and buy out some of the smaller investors and kind of clean up sort of the, the capitalization table or the, the ownership table and then move you towards that position where you're, you're exiting. And so now very, very few, it's, it's percentage, percents of percents of percents of companies ever get to that point. Mm. And most people don't want to get to that point. You know, I think if we ask, if we're honest with ourselves, most people, when we start our business, we're not thinking we want to be Uber. We don't, right. you know, we want to be Facebook or, or whatnot. But many of us think that, mm-hmm. but then you kind of get in and you realize, okay, this, this might not be a business that can grow that large. Right. So what most of us are looking for is we're looking for the money we need to get started, or we're looking for the money we need just to get to that next level or buy that next uh, piece of equipment or whatever it is, or hire more employees, that kind of thing. And so 
in the early phases, you're talking about friends and family, you're talking about loans, you're talking about angel investors, and kind of that category is where most businesses just stop. They don't really mm-hmm. go beyond that. Now, it doesn't, it's not even a, a foregone conclusion that you even need to take investor money. And so the idea of bootstrapping your business along the way, kind of just utilizing the capital that you're generating from operations to then fund your next level, that's kind of the dream scenario because you don't need to actually take on another investor or sell a part of your company or have this ongoing uh, loan that you've got to pay. And so I think the really getting a clear sense of what you're actually going to be using this money for in your business. So now coming all the way back to the original question. You need to have a really clear idea of what you're going to use the funds for and how much you need. Because there is such a thing as raising too much money. Yeah. Um, Especially given the terms of that money. You know, if the terms of that money are that you've got a high interest rate that you're paying or you're giving up a large amount of equity, you know, it really doesn't end up being that great for you. And you create some incentives in your business that you may not want. Like Mm. you don't want to... you, want to, you don't want to de-incentivize yourself from working really hard to grow right. that business because somebody else has got a huge share for money you didn't need in the first place. Yeah. So so there are ways to do it wrong. Yeah. There's such a thing as too much money. But I think most of us, we kind of get in that position where we're just trying to find some. Right. Yeah. And I think that's probably the place for us to start maybe. Well, and I, I want to start kind of back up again and just going back to seed money, which yep. it sounds like there could be many different sources of that. That could come from yourself, friends and family, potentially investors. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, How do you know what, I mean, how, starting from there, when there's not really yet a business or a product, you're just kind of testing the market. How do you have, it just pulled out of the air. Like, how do you figure out how much you need? Yeah, it's very, it it can be tough. The, the, the part that is happening here alongside this whole process of figuring out how much money you need or, or getting investors or whatever because it, it's a lot of work actually mm-hmm. to find an investor and there are there are people that have scaled up their company to a certain level they go out looking for venture capital or other forms of large-scale investment money and they they actually find that it really hurts their business because they have to take a lot of time to do that yeah so on the other side of the the picture here is really understanding what your business needs learning about it if you're starting from scratch and you say i have an idea to I don't know. I want to. I want to buy a bus because I believe that you know the town could use somebody to shuttle people around. I'm going to start a taxi service or whatever. I'm just picking a hypothetical example here. Understanding how much the bus costs. Understanding that there's a need in the market. Sometimes it's hard to prove that. Right. Without buying a bus. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Other times there's there's situations where it's like okay, well maybe there's a small scale solution I could provide, or I can try and provide this solution for one person and see if it works. Where maybe it's more of a service based thing where it's not you don't require a lot of yeah. hap- capital intensive uh, kind of approaches or whatever. So I think really getting clear about w- how much you need is understanding the business, understanding what it's going to take. So if somebody else has scaled up that business before, or somebody else has started the business you want to be in, go and find whatever you can or meet these people and learn about what it took to go through that process. Mm. Because then it'll give it a, you a clearer picture as to whether or not that's something you want to do, whether or not it's something that's feasible. If it's going to take $2 million to start and you don't have any access to people that have $2 million, you know, you kind of, it gives you a clearer picture of what is actually possible there at the yeah. beginning. Um, another question I have, you were talking about terms and um, aggregate, you know, returns for the investors and that kind of thing. Generally speaking, and I know, again, this is probably a totally case-by-case basis, but what are these different kinds of investors looking for? Are they looking for stake in the company? Are they looking just for 
you know, mm-hmm. interest, mm-hmm. both, right, all of the above. Sure, <laughs> you know, sure. I um so angel investors. So beyond an angel investor, venture right. capitalists are looking for a very specific thing. They're looking for. They don't want. Don't don't be paying me interest. I don't want to have a lot of this money right. coming. What I'm looking for is use this money to grow the company to a scale that is large enough that we can exit in some fashion or I can be bought out as an investor in some fashion where I make 10 to 20 times my money. Okay. That's what they're looking for. An angel investor, this is where it gets a little bit, a little bit different. A professional angel investor is kind of building a portfolio of investments that they've made, typically 50 to $500,000 in investment. They're kind of looking, as I mentioned earlier, they're looking for that 20 to 25% return. They're looking for a really good return over a long period of time by investing, diversifying amongst a number of small investments. Um, you Kind of in between there, sometimes you have these mini VCs or angel VCs that can occur where it's kind of like a blend of the two. But typically, that's what each of those two are looking for. Now, when you're just talking about friends and family and people that you might know that you just kind of have come in contact with, or that are members of your family or your circle of influence, mm-hmm. the what they're looking for could be as as wide as they could be completely benevolent, and they say, yeah. "I don't even care if I get this money back." Yeah. Free cheeseburgers in your restaurant for the rest of my life. That's right. My I, name on a brick. I just want to say <laughs> I own a bar, or what right. you know, yeah, like yeah. you get those kinds of yeah. things. There could be, but don't count on that. Mm-hmm. I, I think quite often people will utilize this big opportunity to invest in my company that doesn't exist to you know all these amazing things right to receive all these amazing things and the prestige of being a part of that without really looking at the business case and you have to understand investors their their entire premise if they're not purely benevolent uh, mm-hmm. angel investors they're looking for a return yeah it's about returning the money back to them so what is the what will secure no permanent loss of their actual capital that they get their money back and how fast do they get their money back? Mm -hmm. And if they get their money back really fast and then they still retain a percentage of ownership, wow, that's great. And if that percentage of ownership produces a return into perpetuity or the business is going to grow and could sell it someday, you know, there's a lot of potential other upsides there, but most people are looking for some form of return in the short term. Um, But again, friends and family could be, all sorts of different scenarios. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And now when you're an early, early stage company and you don't have a lot of capital and you don't have a lot of cash flow, mm-hmm. it's really hard to give up, have, you know, cash from that business in an ongoing fashion. So that's why I think a lot of people early on will take on, you know, a small investor or will try and, and get some form of flexible financing or things yeah. like that. But nothing replaces you purely being able to generate cash flow from doing what that business does. So that's a great place to segue into my next question, which is how do you prove that you are investment worthy um, and your idea is worth investing in and and demonstrate that, I guess, to a potential Mm -hmm. investor? Yeah. Uh, Well, I mentioned the, what an investor is looking for, looking for good returns. It could be huge upside, could be just stable returns, no permanent loss of capital. Um, and the, and they might have some specifics, like they may only want to be out, you know, their capital for a maximum number of years or whatever they want, might want to get their money back within a certain period of time, but who they choose to pursue mm-hmm. for those returns, if you think about it from their perspective, wouldn't they want to link up with people that have either shown an ability to produce the returns, have shown an ability to make something happen with the money that's been given, have either built something that is working already that can you can visibly see in the 
um, in the financials that could support what you're looking to do and that you could have a good upside in that, um, whether it's ownership or return. And or if some of those things are missing, that they've added those pieces around them. So they have a good team. They've mm. got a good product or service. You know, the, the thing itself is actually working and it's been proven. Um, and that the, the financial picture, the financial model looks good. Typically, that's what they're looking for. You're not typically going to get, unless you've got somebody that's already proven something or they've got uh, some form of intellectual property that's protectable. They've come up with an invention or they've got some creation that everybody wants that they can license or, right. you know, you've got to create some value that somebody would want either a piece of the large upside or you've got to show that you can actually generate profitable commerce from it. So if you've never started a business before, mm. if you have no idea what you're doing, <laughs> right. if you don't know how much money you want and you right. don't know how you're going to spend it, I recommend not, not doing this, not going any further <laughs> yes. than this. Now yeah. you can, maybe that's where you are right now. Right. And you're listening to this and you're going, okay, I really want to have a business and I know it's going to take money. And, and so I want to get to that point. The single biggest thing you can do is learn about how other people have done it because this happens every day. People go from literally having nothing to creating million dollar businesses by slowly and steadily improving who they are, improving their ability to do the things that we've talked about and showing that they are able to induce people to take their wallet out and give them money for what they have. Right. That process of learning to become the person that does the things to achieve the goals that you want is that process is irreplaceable. Mm. And maybe maybe you're going through this process and you're learning and you're, you've got a business or you've had some smaller businesses that have worked in the past and they never went anywhere. Um, that doesn't mean you're done. You know, you've got, a, you've got a base of knowledge that you can build on and you can add to and you can grow from there. You could link up with other people that are already doing what you want to be doing. You know, maybe you join a company where you get to work closely with an entrepreneur that has done this. Mm. And so then you're, you have a job, right? You're, you're there working for money as trading hours for dollars, but you're learning along the way, which is one of the, actually the best ways to do it. Mm. So those are some ways to, to kind of break in, in a way. Yeah. And um, would you say personal reputation plays in plays yeah. a role? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and the, the, the relationship, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've got... It's it, not just crunching numbers. There's no. the other, the human aspect. Absolutely. Well. And I think the people that are closest to you, if you've shown you've been good with money in the past and, you, and they believe in you and your idea, I think, th- especially when you're unproven, it's those people that are closest to you for whom you've been, um, I, I say, like when you're faithful in the little things, you can be trusted with more things. Right. That kind of concept plays out when you don't really have a lot to work with in the business arena, like you haven't developed a lot already. Right. Um, but yeah, investors love to invest in, in people that have already done it successfully. Yeah. You know, okay. And I think that's building that reputation and, and showing that you can do things, sort, sort of building the resume of having done things in the past mm-hmm. can help produce that, that kind of uh, scenario where people would want to invest in you. Um, one quick story about this, because I think I hear this a lot and I think it's, it's a, in microcosm of, uh, I posted an article online recently and I got some snarky comments ab- yeah, oh, about, yeah. about how and we're going to talk more about that in episode eight, 19. As well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so essentially the, you know, if you have money or if you're already in the place right. of success, then of course it's easier to do the right things or to learn right. or to whatever. So I want to attack dead on the myth and I'm calling it a myth that it takes money to make money. So I know of a kid that had, he'd gone into a coffee shop and he'd seen that the coffee shop was selling on the counter chocolate covered coffee beans Mm. and they were selling for, you know, a dollar for four or whatever it was. 
And he thought, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, they're, they're selling those and I wonder how they do that. And they found, he found out that actually it wasn't the coffee shop doing it. It was somebody else that was bringing men and getting them and bringing them in. And so he thought, well, you know, I, I've got some coffee shops where, near where I live. And what if I could find these coffee beans, chocolate covered coffee beans, I could put together the little sales thing and I could do this in, in somebody else's coffee shop. So he went out and did it. Cost him somewhere between 50 and $80 to get started, to get all the bases, the, the product itself, the little display, everything. Now it's pretty easy to raise 50 to $80 if you really want to do what you want to do. You can probably raise 50 to $80. Most of us can save 50 to $80. Most of us. Most of us. I mean, not, if you've, me, if not me, Dave. No, <laughs> but I'm, I'm telling you, if you're, if you're homeless and you can show that this idea can work, right. you can probably find 50 to $80 right. in some way over some period of time. Exactly. So now you can start where this kid started. So what he did was he would sell these things. He would get them. Essentially his base product cost him 25 cents mm-hmm. and he sold it for a buck. So he just did this again and again and again and again. And he didn't just live off the 75 cents. He saved it. Yeah. So now his now his twenty five or his eighty bucks grew to five hundred dollars, grew to a thousand dollars, grew to two thousand dollars, and now you're starting to get up into that range where you can start to try some things out that maybe there's a different form of product or maybe there's something else that you can buy that you can leverage to then create more profit beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so this process of constantly trading up is how people go from homelessness yeah. to r- extreme success. Right. Um, one of the greatest investors of all time, if not the greatest investor of all time is Warren Buffett. And he is, I think Berkshire Hathaway is worth something like $373 billion right now. It costs about $215,000 per share to own a, a, a share of their class A stock. But his original partnership, he started with $105,000 and his aunt Alice put in, I think about a third of that. Yeah. Okay. And so he put together this group and he had learned a little bit about how to invest properly. And he learned from another one of the greatest investors of all time, um, uh, Benjamin Graham. So he had actually gone to the college that this guy taught at and he learned from him. And so he kind of filled his head with the knowledge that it took to succeed. He put together this partnership with $105,000. They grew it over time to, um, I want to say it's mid 50 million or a hundred million dollars worth of assets that they were managing or that they had uh, ownership in. And then he shut that down and then went over and started a different process via which he was utilizing. Um, and this is kind of, so one of the secrets to Warren Buffett's success is about half of his returns have come from the fact that his source of capital, so back to the, what we're talking about here, his source of capital is a, a revenue stream that is already profitable for him. So mm-hmm. it's the insurance companies. So when somebody pays, let's say, a $100 premium, on average, they only pay out about $95 in claims. So there's this 5% that is there. So what they do, that's called the float. So if you do this and you've got a ton of people that are paying in premiums on a, on a monthly basis, you have a lot of money to work with. Mm. And the other thing is a lot of those claims are paid out over time. So if you're generating a hundred dollars a month, 95 is going out, but that 95 is spaced out over four or five months. And then you're doing this again and again and again, you start to build up a large amount of capital. So you're actually profitable on the money that you're, bo- you're borrowing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then they what they do is they utilize that money combined with other money they have and they invest. So if I invest $100 and I get 110 back, that's a 10% return. But if I only had to put 50 of those dollars in and I got the 10% back and I didn't have to pay back the original investor the other half of that 50 bucks, the other 50 bucks, now suddenly my return is 20%. Mm. So I've just doubled my returns by utilizing a different form of of money 
and that is something. So that's part of their success is they built this strategy utilizing insurance companies to buy other companies because they could generate a large amount of capital that they could then use to invest in other things. And so they didn't have to pursue crazy returns. They didn't have to chase, you know, 20, 40% returns in the marketplace. They could buy stable companies that over the long term proved to be successful. And so by using that strategy, they had an average 22% return for like 50 some years, 55 years. Yeah. And so you go from, with that kind of return, the compound interest on that, you go from $105,000 in your first partnership to 373 billion. So you can just shift the numbers down a little bit and the same premise can work, right? Mm -hmm. You can build this process uh, via which you have more to work with to maybe invest in other people. Yeah. I want to talk really quickly, I guess, about, um, I think that this is all very important for the solo entrepreneur who has been, has basically just bought themselves a job. And we've talked about this before, the difference between Mm -hmm. owning your job and owning a business. And I think one trap that I see solo entrepreneurs fall into a lot is that, and we've talked about, we've touched on this a lot. They got into something because they're good at graphic design or because Mm -hmm. they like working on cars or something like that. They got They have a skill. Someone gave them some money for it. Yay. But what ends up happening is because they don't have that knowledge or the confidence or they don't understand the process with their, all of their revenue becomes their salary. Yes. Right. And even if they decided to pay themselves a smaller salary and save some, they wouldn't know what to invest in or how to spend it in the first place. So it's, it's like, that is a big leap, you know, to go from being a person who does something well and gets paid for it themselves, not by a company and being a person who builds a company. Yes. And so like, I'm trying to, you know, where's that leap? Some of it just has to be a big leap of, a leap of faith or just, Coming, yeah. like you said, Warren Buffett just kind of had an idea, sort of. Yeah, well, and he and he had a lot of training, so <laughs> right. he had he had real fertile soil that he kind of grew in his right. his seed, right? Mm-hmm. Grew in real fertile soil, so he had a good idea of what to do. Right, but he had to learn that. Right, um, he paid to go to college to learn that. Right, um, but he learned that. There are other ways to learn the things that you need to learn to then go from being a solo entrepreneur, solopreneur, into being more of a true business owner, investor, because that's that's kind of that that shift. If you think about it, what you're building. When you shift from, let's we use the graphic design example. When you're a one-person graphic design firm, like you say, maybe you can charge $100 an hour, $150 mm-hmm. an hour and live on 50 But what do you do with the other 50 right? right? Well, if you learn what what are ways that I could multiply this or I could grow this business, like, hey, okay, so if I can live on 50 and I can save 50 for every hour. So how, how long do I have to do this before I have a little bit of a pile of money here that I can then afford to hire another graphic designer? Mm-hmm. And I can kind of pre-front load part of their salary, or maybe I can structure their salary so that they're willing to take a share of the upside or some, some creative thing like that. And then they go out and get their clientele. And so then you kind of can develop a firm. So now the 50 extra an hour that you have, yeah, that's, that's your own, but maybe you're making 50 on the hourly rate of those other people too. Mm-hmm. And so you've multiplied, you've effectively invested right. into other people, into growing that small amount that you had into something larger. And then, I mean, that is the process, right? That is the process of, of building a business. There is a financial side of this. I think when we ignore the financial side of building a business and just want to do something creative or just want to do something we love to do and we ignore the financial side, we can just go, if it, if it doesn't matter, if the money doesn't matter, why don't we just volunteer? Right. But the money does matter. The ma- yeah, you're it's right. it's impossible to ignore that. So, mm-hmm. when you when you shift that mindset, and I think that's where I think, for me, 
I had to move from, so I was a, I learned a lot about business and I learned a lot about investing, um, real estate investing. And so what I started to do, my first company, the first thing I ever did was I, I was a business consultant and I did it. I didn't have a high level of knowledge or a lot of great clients behind me or big clients behind me. So I had to start small with my hourly rate. And so I had to be affordable and I had to be able to charge something that was valuable for what I was providing. But over the course of time, what I did is I learned more and more about how a business can be successful. And so the value of what I brought for every hour I traded continued to grow. And so I was able to charge more per hour. And so eventually, and I just kept living on less than what mm-hmm. I charged. And so I could, I eventually grew this small little, I'll call it a war chest, right? It was probably a couple thousand dollars, a few thousand dollars. But then that turned into a couple small little real estate investments where I didn't really have to go that take on too much risk or do whatever. And next thing you know, it turns into 10,000, it turns into 20,000 and, and the deals get bigger and the opportunities get bigger. And so now what I do is now I invest in other things or I invest in my own ideas, my own startups with, and then bring people alongside to make that work. But I had to make the shift between my own stuff, just, just me mm-hmm. to transitioning to what we talked about earlier, yeah. other opportunities. <clears throat> and so I actually did, I actually did an experiment with this. Um, few companies later, I had an opportunity to buy a trolley. So there was a guy in the community who had a trolley, used it for some events, weddings and special events and stuff like that. And, you know, he had kind of, it turned into a business on him and he didn't, he wasn't really really looking for that. Yeah. And so he's like, I, I, I don't really want to do this. And so he was willing to sell it. We agreed on a fair price. It was $30,000. So what I did, I knew I, at the credit union, I would just borrow the money to, to buy this because I didn't know. I didn't want to buy it for cash. I didn't know what, what kind of revenue it was going to produce, but I knew that we could make money on it. And so I modeled out how much we could typically make based upon their previous bookings and us using marketing to grow that by 20% or so. And then I figured out, okay, well, this is what the monthly, monthly payment would be. So I'd have to borrow 24000 and put tw- uh, 20% down, which was $6,000. Now I had $6,000, but the experiment I ran was I'm going to go to a peer-to-peer lending website. And I went to prosper.com. There's another one called LendingClub.com. So this is another source of money for, for smaller amounts, actually. And you can borrow up to thirty, thirty-five thousand on some of these sites. By the way, the average business has started with twenty-five thousand dollars. Okay. Just as a across the board, that's the the average. It, you said Prosper.com and Lending. LendingClub.com. Lending so I used for this. I I actually make. Uh, investments make lo- you're basically lending to other people just like you, but you're lending in small increments. So you might put a thousand dollars in there, and you're lending out f- f- twenty-five or fifty at a time to people, and then you're combining with other people to lend money to help people refinance a house or um, invest in their business or pay off credit cards or whatever. Okay. So I put it on there and I said, hey, you know this this business has been profitable. I'm acquiring it, and I just I want to fund the down payment through here. So now I'm reaching out to other people basically, right? Or I'm just putting this post up there. This is an opportunity. Prosper vets you. It kind of goes through your your credit, make sure that I could I could actually borrow and make this payment, that kind of thing. So I still have to be able to prove that I can do it. But I had people from around the country that would chip in 25, 50 bucks at a time, raised the $6,000 for the down payment, brought that 6,000 into the bank. We closed the loan for the other $24,000. And I had a trolley that was profitable, producing revenue already, and I put zero money in, mm. right? right? All I had to do was have a good credit history on my other stuff. Right. So that was, I, I did that as an experiment because I wanted to see, could I do this without any money? Mm-hmm. So then what happened was in the first year, the uh, the business raised or produced enough profit that I paid off that original Prosper loan. And then in the next two years, we paid off early 
the actual other loan. So now I had this asset that I had no debt on and I had still never put any of my own money into it. And now it produces a regular return. So now it produces a, a, a originally going back to that. So my return is infinite because I put none of my own money into it. Right. <laughs> but on the original $30,000, it produces on somewhere in uh, the 40 to 45% return on that initial nice. amount invested year after year after year. Mm-hmm. So I acquired an asset that produces that return that I could use the money for other things for. So that's, that's like an example of one way that you can go about this where you're utilizing different forms of other people's money. Um, again, I had, I had the money to invest, but Prosper didn't look that I had any capital. They just right. looked at my credit history. Right. The bank just needed to know, or the credit union just needed to know that I had 20% to put down. Yeah. So it worked. Yeah. And so that's just kind of in microcosm. One of those examples of, you know, it doesn't take money to make money or it doesn't take, um, you know, most of us have decent credit history. Yeah. So that's, that is a strategy that is available to most people, but mm-hmm. you've got to know, Hey, this is a business I could acquire at this price. I've got to be able to negotiate that. I've got to learn how I can find these sources of capital. I've got to be able to operate that after the fact, right? I've got to be mm-hmm. able to get people to want to rent this trolley in order to make it profitable. And, uh, and away you go. And, and that's a good example of not putting the cart before the horse. You bought one trolley. Yeah. You didn't think to yourself, I need a fleet right. of trolleys and it's right. going to be a million dollar business. And Absolutely. you know, it was more like, here's a way I can test this with relatively little risk. Right. Speaking of risk, when you're not, when you're dealing with investors, not like the SBA or your you know own credit union or whatever, Yeah. what is their personal risk? Generally speaking, how tied is it to mm-hmm. your own personal assets or is that sure. just case by case? It is case by case. Okay. Um, I do know. So Let's see. A couple of years ago, I did utilize um, an SBA loan. It's the it's the government's seven A program. Mm-hmm. So if you want to look at the SBA seven A, they basically what they do is they they guarantee up to eighty percent of the the loan to value. So so the actual uh, bank or credit institution that you're going to, they the U.S. government's basically saying we got your back on this. Okay. So if you make this loan to Dave and he goes belly up, then we're going to we're going to cover your loss right. on this. So it what it does is it allows banks and credit unions to more readily lend those funds out. Um so I went through that program, acquired a, a real estate property. Um they did ask the this is the SBA now. The the credit union didn't wasn't asking for this, but the SBA did ask for a personal guarantee on it. Um and guarantee from another side business that I had associated with the the acquisition. Okay. So, so usually that is the case. And again, in those kind of situations, now I was borrowing three quarters of a million dollars. So it's, that's a little bit different story right. than the 6,000 and the yeah. 24,000. Right. Yeah. But that was, it was kind of that same history, right? They were looking at my previous history with producing business results. Right. They said, yeah, we want a personal guarantee and yeah, you need to show us like how much money you have and what's your personal credit like and all those sorts of things. So a lot of those things do play in. You're using your reputation and your history, um, both in business and personally, to to do those things. But yeah, there are. But I have other business loans where I don't have to. There's no personal guarantee because the business itself has built up enough history in making payments and right. things like that, and just it's it's got a lot of cash and doesn't have to worry about. It doesn't have yeah. a lot of debt. Those kinds of things. But um, you just got to walk before you can run. There. You got to walk yeah. before you can run, and you got to yeah. crawl before you can walk. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do have one, I guess my, and I don't know how, if you feel like you've touched on everything we needed to No. Okay. He's shaking his head at me We're like, absolutely not. We're All right, Dave, then started. just, then you just take it. Cause I, well, what's I'm, your question? Well, I was actually, it's, it's a wrap up kind of question. So I'll wait till the end. Okay. 
What is it? And then I'll come back to it. Okay. So I was just going to ask, like, let's say you're someone like me and um, I know just enough to be dangerous, I guess. And that's the, that's the best time. Sometimes. That's the best. <laughs> but there always comes a point where no matter how much I read about something or how much information I uh, digest, mm-hmm. I don't know or feel confident doing something until I've done it. Right. So that's a big leap to go from knowing in theory, how something is done and actually sitting down with a concrete example mm-hmm. and doing it. So who yeah. is, is there, who's the person you go to? Who is your team person? Like who is the, how do you get from there to there? You know, yeah. if you're not going to go get an MBA. Sure. You know? Which I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I do not have an MBA. Um, yeah. So I, I think that the single most blanket answer to that whole thing, which I, this is helpful because this is kind of in the vein of what we've been talking about. If you can put yourself around another person that has done or is doing it mm-hmm. and you can come alongside them, you can watch them kind of mentor you. Yeah. Yeah. Whether they mentor you or they just allow you to hang out. Right. Right. So whether it's effort for that person or they're just you're just there and then maybe they give you some time to a- ask questions and stuff. The The learning by doing, if you don't actually have an opportunity to do it, but you're alongside someone who is doing it, you kind of get the same effect. That's true. So I think that's probably the the single biggest way to do that is to to be around other people that are where you want to be or are actively doing what you want to be doing. Um, and finding those people is sometimes can be difficult, but man, I tell you what, with the searches we have on the internet, with mm. sites like AngelList and Quora and Clarity and those other places where people are just kind of experts in various subjects yeah. and you can talk to them, um, there's, there's a lot of places where you can find you can find people that are doing the thing you want to be doing. And locally, I have found really that business owners and entrepreneurs are some of the most generous people with their time mm-hmm. and mentoring and help and, and sure. assistance because they've all been, everyone's been there yeah. at the beginning and people oh, yeah. are very willing to help. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and we know how hard it is, like this, mm-hmm. the struggles of those early days and people don't believe you can do it. And, you know, people wonder why you're doing it. And so there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different things that play into this that, right. you know, it's, there's very few people that really understand what that pressure is like, what the pressure is like that you put on yourself, what what changes in you as a person as you go through learning these things and trying these things. Um, because there's, quite frankly, I mean, what, what's the, I don't know, they say it's, what is it, it's a daredevil that, you know, does things that might be dangerous and, and that kind of thing, and there's no certain positive outcome and that kind of thing. I think mm-hmm. it takes a little bit of being able to make that make that leap and take that step, but... There are a lot of ways that you can minimize the the downside of doing that, the risks that are associated. So, um, so yeah, so learning from those other people, quite frankly, when you learn from those other people, quite often they end up being the people who invest in you. Yeah. Because they've seen that you know, mm-hmm. they've watched, and then and then maybe they give you a shot to do some things and try some things. They've seen that you've made some mistakes. It's kind of like you, the bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Right. Like you understand more what this person is about and their strengths and weaknesses and what they're capable of. And I think a lot of people, especially in the angel investor category or some of those other uh, friends and family who might be entrepreneurs or investors already, there's kind of an implicitly understood, especially with a first-time entrepreneur, there's this implicitly understood scenario that you're going to be of help. Yeah. So I think, and quite often, that's what a lot of angel investor groups do. You know, they they want to, they've had some success themselves in whatever area, whether it's business or, or otherwise, and they want to assist other people to do the same while mm. earning good returns for themselves. Right. You know, yeah. and so they can minimize their risk by actively being involved. Right. So, yeah. So, so, and we talked about uh, kind of a, a little bit touched on the idea of, of, um, other people's money and how you can leverage those things. 
you know, I, the conversation of whether to take on debt versus equity is mm-hmm. always a, a popular one. Um, and, and there's all kinds of literature out there on that, that difference. Um, really basically though, if you're taking on debt, you have this predetermined loan that you have to actively pay, right? There's a amount due every month. There's a certain amount of interest. You kind of know the terms of that. Um, however, the outside of the covenants of that loan, you, you're not beholden to those, whoever is providing that, that money to you. Um, if you take on an equity investor in some way, shape or form, they have some control if it's voting rights and it's a small percentage, you know, they could just be largely annoying um, mm-hmm. if they're, they, they don't agree with you or whatever. Um, in worst case scenarios, there's, you know, when you get down the road and you want to raise more money, you want to sell or whatever, they might be the, the thorn in the side that prevents some of those things from happening. So, you know, you do give up control, but if you, if it's to the right person, sometimes the equity investment is actually worth way more than the money that they put in because there's more money behind that or there's connections or there's, you know, all sorts of other things that come with that. It's kind of like when you're watching Shark Tank and you see one of the investors go, well, yeah, I can, I'll offer the same deal as the other investor, but I've got the connections in the industry we need and I can provide this and I can provide that. So the, then the budding entrepreneur might actually choose that shark over the other one because of the additional stuff that they bring to the table. And I think that's another thing when, when thinking through raising money from somebody is how else could they be helpful to you? I think sometimes we get so like, we're so scared and we just want money now. We just, just got to do it. It doesn't matter where yeah. it comes from at any cost, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter. Just, let's just get this deal done because, you know, sometimes easy money is not the, no. the best thing. Right? Who are you getting in bed with? And right. It's important. Absolutely. And, or, yeah. or, or maybe. For what reason? Yeah. Or maybe you shouldn't have done the deal anyway, but the money was so easy. You got into it and then you, then something went wrong. Right. You know, so. Um, there's a lot to be said for, for choosing who those people are. But anyway, that's a, just kind of a, a little bit of a smidge on debt and equity. I, there's a lot of stuff out there that people can research. Uh, I do recommend checking out Quora.com, Q-U-O-R-A, and doing the debt versus equity thing. There's some great discussions on there uh, from people that have done it a million times. Um, the other thing, though, we talk about other people's money. The other thing that can be valuable is other people's resources. So sometimes you don't need to raise money to advance to the next step. Sometimes a strategic joint venture mm. or utilizing equipment that somebody else might have in exchange for some revenue share or something like that can actually be a great way for you to achieve what you're trying to achieve. That's why it's good to be clear on what exactly your goal is. Yeah. So if you if you are in a position where you make, um, trying to think of a good example here, you sell a product and the equipment that you have allows you to do Let's say you let's say you're a coffee roaster, mm-hmm. and you've got um, the ability to roast up to twenty pounds of coffee at a time, and you've got an opportunity to sell into a chain of coffee stores, and you need to be able to roast one hundred and twenty, uh, you know, uh, yeah, one hundred and twenty uh, pounds of coffee mm-hmm. at a time, or five hundred pounds of coffee at a time. Well, the the equipment to get there might be hundred thousand dollars, hundred fifty thousand dollars, or there might be a large scale roaster that will lease you time. Or will roast on your behalf with your time and recipe and everything um, in exchange for some percentage. So you might actually be able to borrow effectively other people's resources to get where you need to go without taking on a lot of money or a lot of debt or giving up a lot of equity. So that's another way to look at it. How do you start that conversation? If this was you, yeah. I mean, how you just pick up the yellow pages and start making calls? You reach Sometimes. out to your network? I mean, Sometimes, how, yeah. yeah. You, usually the personal connection is yeah. much easier. I, I, I try not to start a business or get into a business where I know nothing about the industry. I don't have a strong leader already in place. Right. And I don't have some form of support 
network around that. So for me, that's just a strategic thing. There are the people that are a little crazier than me. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's part of it. Um, but yeah, it's, sometimes it is, it is purely cold calling, um, which you can do with other people's resources. You can't do that when you're raising money. You can't reach out to somebody that you don't know, cold call them and say, mm-hmm. hey, I, I would like 200,000 bucks for 10% of my company. Yeah. That's a securities violation. That, and that's the other thing to, to be cognizant of when, when raising money is there are times when the Securities and Exchange Commission will say you're not doing this properly. Okay. So you do have to register. You do have to put together the appropriate documentation and things like that. So depending on how much money you're raising, that's one thing to be cognizant of. However, the thing that usually saves you is if you have a personal relationship with this person prior to making this investment or asking mm. for this investment from them. So, and there's limits to how many people you can you can do that for, but um so yeah. But yeah, there's there's a lot of different things to to look at. Um the other thing is uh, quite often when an investor is going to invest money into your business and you're starting up and you've kind of built out what the model's going to look like and when you look at the salaries that are going to be paid to people or if you're looking at you know, I'm starting from scratch, I want to start a graphic design company, you don't really need money to do that necessarily if it's just you. Mm-hmm. But let's say you want to start a company that has three people and whatever. If you're kind of getting into that position as the owner and from the outset, even though the company has no revenues or no profitability or whatever, you're saying I'm going to take a market-based salary. You know, if that mm-hmm. role pays $75,000 a year, right. I'm going to take a salary of $75,000 a year. There are very few investors that are going to be cool with that because it dramatically reduces their ability to get their principal back. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that. At what point then down the road do you plan for that? When it's profitable and they're already made their money? Uh, yeah, in a, in a way. And also it's it's an easy way for you to kind of buy with some leverage too because if you're willing to put in the sweat equity, mm. so if you a market rate is 75000 and you're willing to take 35000 right? Does that 40000 a year become a negotiation chip for you in right. the valuation of your company? And we're going to talk about valuation in a second here. But is that a is that a negotiation chip with you with an investor or is that something that accrues over time? Right. So maybe, Mm. you know, there's a the company owes that 40,000, but it's not paid out. And so over the course of time, you keep an account of how much that is. And then when things are profitable, it's it's a debt that's owed. Yeah. You know, or if the company sells or something like that, it's something that's owed. So you get compensated for that. But don't ever just give your time away for nothing. So it's two ed- two sides of the sword. It's the how much should I be paying myself when there are other people involved or when the company needs the money. And I think too often people, the magic number seems to be 30000 a year. It's so it's so funny how many people will start up a company and be like, well, I'll pay myself 30000 You know, like I'll take this less huh, amount. Okay. That seems to be the number that comes Maybe up Maybe that's lot. the number the, the least people could see themselves surviving on or something. Probably, you know? which, which is interesting because there's a psychological and, and then just to not to sidetrack too much, but there's been shown that there's very little positive psychological impact of making more than $75,000 mm-hmm. a year personally. I, granted, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's reasons to do so. Right. But so 30 to 75,000, that's an interesting little, yeah. little bracket that there's a lot of stuff that if you develop a business, that's fairly su- successful and you can live in that range. Mm-hmm. There's so much extra capital that you will have right. for growth and other opportunities down the road or, or to more quickly get to your retirement age. But anyway, that was a sidetrack. But um, I forget what I was talking about. Uh, you were talking about... Uh, oh, owner pay. Yeah, yeah. So Don't give it away for free. Don't give it away saying. for free. And then when you start to scale up and the business becomes profitable, what you want to do is you want to raise... If you're spending five hours a week in this business and you're not needed, you shouldn't be taking a $200,000 salary. Right. So, but what you want to do is you want to bring what 
the replacement value would be for your time. So if you are the quote unquote CEO of this business, if you're the CEO of a $40 million company and you're getting paid 50 grand a year and you had to hire somebody to take that role, it's never going to happen at Mm. 50 grand, right? Right. So what you want to do is you want to, you want to build in this market based value of your salary and you want to get to the point where you're actually paying yourself a market based value. And then, so quite often what people will do is they'll keep their salary really low and then take money out of the profits yeah. at the end, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'll go, whoa, look at all those profits. We're so profitable. We had you know, $50,000 in profit this year. And when in reality, if that should have been paid to you in a market-based salary, you have $0 in profit. Right. So you don't have a company that's profitable if you had to hire the staff needed to, to run it. run it, yes. So you want to get yourself to that position where you have a clear picture of what's actually going on. Allocate the money that you should be paying yourself in there and then seeing where the profitability is. And so you want to build this up where you have a company where you've got, you're paying yourself a market-based wage. The profit at the bottom line is at least 10%, probably in the 10 to 15% range. And then you've built up this core capital, um, this certain amount of money you're going to need to help grow and kind of withstand slow cash flow times and stuff like that. And that's different for every business. But when you get to those three kind of markers, you're, you're an extremely healthy business, um, and that's easy to finance. It's easy to grow with. It's easy to replace yourself with. It's easier to sell, and you mm-hmm. can get good value for that. Um, and I, I didn't make all those numbers up. I'm pulling that out of a great book that I highly, highly recommend for people who want to get into numbers in the finance side of their business, but they don't want to really think too hard about it. They're not that good at numbers. Mm-hmm. It's called Simple Numbers. Um, oh, boy. I just It's by Greg Crabtree. And I just lost, I don't have the book here in front of me. Um, I'm going to find it real quick here because I don't want to miss out on telling people about this. Okay. Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits. Okay. Uh, It's available on Amazon and plenty of other places. Uh, You can get the hardcover for 18 bucks on Amazon. One of the best books on how to manage the numbers in your business, the finances in your business as you're scaling up. It, it's not a great book for somebody that has no business and it's not a great book for somebody that's that's got a $100 million public company. Um, but it really is, speaks to what needs to happen in between there. Um, and so the, the owner, getting order and compensation right, building up a core capital base, um, you know, those sorts of things that you're, and he actually makes a great case in there why if you don't have a 10% bottom line, 10% of your revenue is left over, you're actually kind of, kind of less than break even at that point because there's so much that's needed to grow to get mm-hmm. to the next level. So if you are wanting to grow, you definitely want to be into that range. So those are the things to think about. But that coming back to the owner compensation thing, once you start to develop a profitable business, you do want to switch over from not paying yourself that much to paying yourself a market-based wage. If you do have other people involved, and even if you don't, you want to keep track of the, the amount that you should have been paying yourself mm. because that is a liability that the business would then owe at some point in time. Um, so it's something to keep keep in mind. How would this picture change if, say, instead of starting a brand new business and wanting to hire three people right away, mm-hmm. um, you started, you were doing it on your own. Right. Slowly building up. You still don't really have profit yet because you are the business. Right. But does that materially change the way a, an investor would look at you if you came in and said, okay, I've already been... I've been earning 75000 so I need to draw close to that. Mm-hmm. Is that still going to be as big a problem as 
but now I want to build. You right. know what I mean? Or is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's the rest of the picture of the business around that. Right. So is the business profitable beyond that? Or is it bringing in 75000 and paying out 75000 Right. If that's the case, it's going to be hard to raise money from an investor at that point um, unless you have more skin in the game. Right. Okay. So that's what people... Whoops, that's what people are gonna to wanna to be looking for. Is they're gonna be wanna looking for um, what what sort of an uh, investment is the business owner willing to put in for growth? What sort of sacrifice are they willing to make? Um, what, how much money do they put into the business? Mm-hmm. So yeah, if it's bringing in 75,000 and it's paying out 75,000, but it's got a half a million dollars in cash sitting in the bank. Right. Okay, okay. another story. <laughs> that's a different story, right. Right, and, and what they need is they need a strategic investor that's gonna invest the other half a million mm-hmm. to get to the million to, to buy this, company that has been doing graphics and other sorts of things right. for a million bucks. Okay. Whole different picture. Right. right. So it's what the money is going to be used for. Then nobody cares, right? Yeah, you're making 75 grand. That's great. Right. We're going to buy this business that is a $1 million business. Your 75 grand probably will turn into 100 mm-hmm. um, and go from there. Yeah. Okay. Makes so, sense. Yeah. So where are we at now? Are we, are we, cl- well, <laughs> have think, you covered it all yet? No, there's no, and there I, needs to be like episodes, you know, I two, three, never, four and five on this. Because yeah. And I'm far from an expert on this stuff. I think I think this is just stuff that I've learned along the way as I've been building my own businesses on how to think about these things from the perspective of an entrepreneur and also from the perspective of, a, of an investor. Because mm-hmm. when you understand how they think, it's a lot easier to appeal to what they're looking for. Um, and, and one of the areas of big areas of negotiation that comes in, it comes in when you're starting your company, especially if you have partners, it comes in when you're raising money. And it comes in when you're thinking about either selling or some form of exit strategy at the end of the company's sort of life cycle for you is the value of the company, the valuation. And so um, I just kick, I just triggered my hey Siri. I was going to say, why is Siri talking I don't to know. us? What That's, does she think you said? It's very interesting. So something I said sounded <laughs> like hey Siri. And now, and now someone, you know, on the other end of your phone is collecting all of our... All of our conversation. All of our conversation. Like that isn't already happening. Well, exactly. It works out this time. Facebook is probably showing us ads for angel <laughs> right investors now. right now. <laughs> so, um, so valuation. So this is this is a really interesting, uh, really interesting thing because there's so many different interpretations of valuation for any particular business based upon it's it's a negotiation, right? You're starting. We'll, we'll go back to the graphic design example. You're starting your graphic design business. You've built it up. It's producing, let's say it's producing $150,000 in revenue. You're paying yourself seventy five. dollars There's a, some other costs that are in there, whatever. Let's say there's $50,000 left over, right? Mm. It's got a 33% bottom line. That's great. But at the same time, um, there's not that much money there, right? Mm. So what is $50,000 in profit worth? To different people, it's worth different things. If you had a half a million dollars sitting in the bank, right? That's going to add to the value. If you had the opportunity to buy the next business at a million dollars and an investment of, let's say, half a million dollars on top of your half a million dollars into this new business with the acquisition, now the value looks different there. So somebody might value a business that is not doesn't have those opportunities or the cash in the bank, but has some cash in the bank and it's producing this 33% bottom line at some multiple of whatever that bottom line is. So if you think about it, if you were going to sell your business Number one, the person buying it better at least have a graphic designer or be one right, right to be able to replace you. <laughs> right. <clears throat> or if somebody was going to invest in that. So we'll go back to that. So we've got $150,000 in revenue. We've got $50,000 as a bottom line. If I'm an investor and let's say you wanted to raise $50,000 and I were to put $50,000 into that business, if that 50000 was worth, let's say we were valuing it at $200,000, so 
um, it's a, a 25% stake in that company. So then that means, theoretically, if this is an entity that allows for the profits to pass through to the owners, the bottom line of $50,000, I would get 25% of that. Mm-hmm. So in that case, it's twelve five, right? $12,500. Well, what is $12,500 as a return on 50000 right? So we know that 10000 is 20%. Mm. So I'll just do the quick calculation here because I don't actually know this number off the top of my head. I should. It's 25% return on my money every time. Every year. Yeah. Okay. That's just for kicking in $50,000. Right. Now, that's a good deal for me as an investor. Right. Especially if I'm an angel investor. Now, whether I'm also going to be determining whether or not that business has the ability to keep going at that pace, mm. it's going to grow. So, you, uh, theoretically, at some point, my fifty grand would be worth more than that even. Um, that's not a bad deal. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad deal. And if somebody needed the $50,000 and they're willing to give up a quarter of their company for fifty grand at that point in time. So, you can see both sides of this, right? Right. The entrepreneur is probably thinking, well, no, it's worth a half a million dollars and you're getting 10%, mm-hmm. right? So then 10% of your bottom line is $5,000. I'm still getting a 10% return on my money. So somewhere right. in there, it, what what has happened is this person has shown that they can create a profitable graphic design company with a great bottom line. That's a little outsized. I don't think that is the typical situation right there. But because most graphic designers, if they're producing 150000 in revenue, they're a one-person business. What do you think they're paying themselves? You know, yeah. they're probably <laughs> paying most of that right, to, to their own salary. Right, right, right. Right. So that's where if you can be willing to sacrifice a little bit to create mm-hmm. something outside of you that has intrinsic value, this company, that's what you can attract money to. Mm-hmm. That's what you can attract other employees to. And so there's this natural process in being an entrepreneur, if you're doing it the right way, where you're, you are sacrificing to some extent, but you're sacrificing now for the big upside later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of comes back. That takes us full circle, I think, because at the very beginning, what we were talking about is one of the ways to fund is to just not spend everything you make. Right. And build slowly. Absolutely. And we've touched on that kind of a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. So have we have we. Have we brought this topic to a close for today? I think that's enough. We, okay. there's, <laughs> that's there's, enough for there's, now. There's more that could be said, but I'm losing my voice and and, <laughs> yeah. and all that other fun like stuff. Like coughing and gagging, like, and uh, tripping just, Siri over there. I've uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is this is turning into a train wreck. But hopefully, as I go out on my last legs, I've provided some value here to people. Well, I've definitely learned a lot, and I think this is something we can definitely revisit in the future. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, yeah, and our next episode, we're going to be talking too, kind of again about that whole idea of. You know, you touched on, does it take money to make money? Um, and then we're going to kind of take it in another direction. Does it take money to make time? Does mm-hmm. it take money to make the ability to do the things that make more money? Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to say no. No. It doesn't take it. That's so, a spoiler alert, but spoiler we'll alert. talk about why. Our later. answer is no. So definitely tune back in next week for episode 19. Um, you can find the show notes. And there's this one's going to be, I've been madly typing over here. So I think these are going to be some pretty juicy show notes with lots of resources. So just go to lifeworkpodcast.com and search for episode 18. You can always email us at hello at lifeworkpodcast.com. And please do leave us a rating or review on iTunes or whatever your... Uh, podcast listening apparatus of choice. That's right. Is Stitcher, Google Play. Yeah. Um, it helps us out a lot and we love hearing from you because it lets us know what, what to keep bringing you in the future and what we should just stop doing. Yeah. Like this. We should just stop doing. We just stopped doing this. Was that too much? <laughs> <laughs> so see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Life Work Podcast. Build your business and design your life with us every day, Monday through Friday. And find us at lifeworkpodcast.com.